Well, I have a friend that I've uh, acquired since I've moved here to Waco, and we were sitting down for breakfast about three months ago. And dude loves the Lord, loves pursuing Jesus. Um, and, and so we begin to kind of talk about really what matters in life. And he tells me, hey, man, you know, this guy's like 26, 27. He said, I went ahead and just got a job at one of the funeral homes here in town so that at least once a month I can handle a dead body. And I was like, dude, that is super weird. And he was like, man, I just want to be reminded uh, that this, this life is fragile and frail. And, and then that night he sends me a picture of a random dead body. And I was like, this is the strangest text message I have literally ever received. I believe you. You don't have to send me any more pictures. You do your thing. I'll do mine. Uh, but there's, a, there's some wisdom in the fact of what this guy is doing. Uh, I'll be honest, this week was by far uh, one of the most difficult weeks, uh, not one of the most, by far the most difficult week as the pastor of this church that I've had so far. Um, Wednesday, went and visited with Vonnie, uh, who had also gotten COVID, just come home from the hospital, having trouble breathing, couldn't barely breathe, getting to the door to let me in. Uh, we had heard that things with Henry were going to be uh, possibly pretty bad. And so praying with her, crying with her, uh, headed up to the hospital to be with Henry, uh, sitting there with his son and his son-in-law, praying over Henry, praying, God, would you do a miracle? Would you, would you still work in a way that only you could do, but leaving knowing that probably time was really short? Uh, Thursday, going back up to the hospital and Henry passing and being with the family as they've lost their dad, their granddad, uh, Vonnie's husband, um, and praying with them. Uh, it's a difficult thing. And, and, and seeing Vani, who knows Jesus deeply, find peace and comfort and hope in probably one of the most difficult tragedies she's ever walked through. It's sobering, right? It, there is reality to when you're faced with the fact that we don't live forever, that we are very fragile. Um, it, we, we begin to really think, man, what is most important? Uh, my dad, <laughs> Friday, has major surgery at the same hospital, uh, lost a ton of blood, um, and so he has to go into the ICU. So I'm sitting in the ICU again. They, they put my dad in the same room that Henry was in the day before, and, and, and my mom and I are sitting in the foyer now for hours talking about life and death, talking about the fact that this week was the week that my grandmother passed away and that not too long after that, my granddad did last year from COVID and other things. And so this week, this week for me has been difficult. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, but, but what it does is it reminds me so quickly that the things that we're talking about, like the things that we do in our faith are so incredibly important. Like I don't use this as like an emotionalism thing to get you to, to feel something so that you listen. Like, guys, there's just a reality to this. This life is but a vapor and it's here today and gone tomorrow. And I'm just going to tell you, there's going to be a day where you and I are faced with looking back over our life. And here's what you're not going to care about. How successful you were in your job. What kind of car you drove or what kind of house you lived in. What, what's going to matter in those moments is did you love your family well? Were you a good spouse? Did you love your kids well? Did you, did you follow the Lord wherever he called you and whatever it looked like regardless of the cost? Because in the end, that's the only thing that, that will bring hope. That's the only thing that brings peace in these moments. Like the world will leave and will be gone and all that stands left is our faith in Jesus and eternity. These are the things that matter. And here's what I believe. I believe as we continue in the book of John and we look at John chapter 8, this is what Jesus is trying to tell us this morning. There's nothing else that matters. 
Everything else you run after is just vain glory that fades away. It's like a vapor in the wind. It's like smoke. You can reach at it, but you can't ever grasp it. He says, but me, I am the light of the world. I am the hope. I am where you find freedom and sustenance and peace and mercy and grace. And so he says, listen up. Don't miss this. Don't live your life doing something and miss the author of life. And so this morning, I want us to turn to John chapter 8, and I want us to read just not remembering these things. Like remembering the things that Jesus came and the things that Jesus is speaking were very heavy and very weighty and very purposeful because it's the only hope that we have as individuals. And so in chapter 8, as you get there, the first section of chapter 8 is a story that probably all of us have heard many times. It's the woman caught in adultery. They bring her in before Jesus and this council of religious leaders, and they say, you know what the law says. She was caught in the act. She's guilty, and the law says that you're supposed to stone her. Jesus writes in the ground, and we don't know what he wrote, but it says by the time he was done writing, the old began to leave, all the way to the youngest. And he gets in front of this lady, and he lifts up her, her head and he says, where are those that condemn you? And she says, they're not here. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, lest we look at this story and we think, well, man, you see, it's like really what we do doesn't matter because Jesus is just going to forgive us. No, what happened was that this woman encountered the grace and the power and the mercy of Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, I'm about to forgive you of your sin. You're about to be radically transformed of something that you were guilty of. So now that you have received forgiveness, you have received mercy, you have been called my daughter, go and sin no more. When we encounter Jesus Christ, there is radical transformation. This is a part of what it looks like to be a disciple. Doing the things that disciples do does not make you a Christian, but it is a representation of what Jesus has done to us. If you look at your life and it doesn't look like that of a disciple, it doesn't look like that of one who has been transformed by the power of Jesus, the Bible is going to tell us today that we really don't know Jesus. He transforms us when we encounter him. And so he begins with this part of the story in John, and then I want us to look at verse 12. Here's another one of Jesus' I am statements. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus begins this whole section of chapter 8 with reminding us that he is the bread of life. That if you come to him, you'll never hunger again. And then he says in this chapter, I am the light of the world. I am the life of men. And when you encounter that light, it is transformative. When you encounter that light, it begins to push back the darkness in our hearts to expose the places that he wants to change in us for our good and his glory. And so everything that we're going to look at today is kind of based on this idea that when we encounter the light, it's transformative. And so where I want us to look now is verse 31. This is where we're really going to dive in today. Jesus is meeting with some more of the Jews, and it starts in verse 31 with this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Now, this is important. We're about to find out that these Jews do not know Jesus. They, they would say, man, God is our father, and, and Jesus is literally going to say, no, the devil is your father. But we look at the very first sentence, and we see that they believed him. You've got a group of people that would say, I believe what Jesus is saying. You've got a, a group of people that would say, man, we believe what the scripture has said. We believe who God is. We believe all these things that you are saying, saying that you are the Messiah, but they have not believed on him. There's a massive difference, church. There's a massive difference. When you come in this room and you may go, I affirm everything that the Bible says. 
When, I've, when I hear about what Jesus has done, I believe he did that. The Bible says the, the demons believe and they shudder. Belief in itself is not enough, but to believe in something is not gonna get you to salvation, but to believe on Jesus is what it means to know him fully. Jesus is gonna ask you and I a question this morning. He's gonna say, hey, here are some earmarks of a disciple. Do you see these in your life? Or do you just believe in me, but not on me? And so the Jews said we be- they believed in him and here's what Jesus says. This is our first kind of check mark of the day. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The first thing that Jesus says to these men is, if you abide in my word. Now, Jesus is the word, right? But at the same time, he has also given us, God has given us the divine revelation of who he is, his character, his nature, his story of redemption. And he has placed us as a part of this story. And Jesus says, listen, if you are my disciple, you will abide in my word. Abide means to like make your abode in him, to dwell in him. The question is this, like when you look at our own life, would you say, if, hey, if my kids who see me at home, and see everything that I do, or my best friend that knows everything about me, would they say, man, that person abides in the word of the Lord? Because the Bible says that is what a disciple is. And, and here's what Jesus says. Listen, as the, as the light enters into your and my heart, it pushes us to want to abide in his word. And as we abide in his word, we gain truth and knowledge that gives us freedom. Every single one of us wants freedom and hope and peace. And Jesus says it's found in abiding in him and his word. To know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And he continues on in verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Jesus is like, listen, I've come to set you free. And these guys are like, bro, we have never been enslaved in our entire life to anyone. We are offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved. How is it you say that you will become free? This is, this is a very important thing for us to remember. What you have are some Israelites saying, we've never been enslaved. Has anybody ever read the book of Exodus where the, the Jews are enslaved to the Egyptians and Jesus has to, or God has to free them through Moses? The entire Bible is the Israelites entering into captivity because they have sinned and being set free. Entering into captivity and slavery and being set free. Even when Jesus is talking to these men right now, they are in Roman captivity. Literally, they're enslaved to somebody right now. And these guys are like, bro, how are you going to set us free? We're not even ever been enslaved. We're, we're sons of Abraham. And, and here's what this shows us, guys. If the light of the world, if the light of life has not entered our hearts, we can be enslaved to things and never even know we're in it. You can be in bondage and in chains and have no idea where you are. Jesus is the one that begins to reveal those things in us. Jesus is the one that says, listen, as I shine light into your very soul and into your very heart, it begins to illuminate the places where you are enslaved, but I've given you power through the gospel to be set free. This is the principle that Jesus is trying to tell us, that I am the light of the world. If you abide in my word, you will be free. And he continues on in verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be freed indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. 
Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus tells him, listen, you don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. You, you can't abide in my word because it has no resting place in your heart. The spirit of God is the one that opens our eyes and our ears to understand the things of Jesus that matter. Paul talks about the word as like a mystery. The gospel is like this mystery that has confounded the most wise men of the world. And yet when the spirit of God comes and intersects our life, we're able to see and observe and understand things that are just beyond our own understanding. And Jesus tells these guys, because you're not a son of God, you have no, my word has no place in you. Lifeway did a study. I want to show you this graph. And then I'm just going to put us all in it somewhere. They asked Protestant churchgoers, how much time do you spend in the word? And, and honestly, this should be high because this is church people that were willing to take an actual statistical study about it, right? So these, these guys were proud enough to say, I am a Protestant. I do go to church. And here was their study on how often they read the Bible. Every day was 32%. A few times a week, 27%. Once a week, 12%. A few times a month, 11%. Once a month, 5%. And rarely or never, 12%. Before we take this down, the slide down, I'd like to, for you, let's look at the last month. Let's look at the last year. You just be honest with yourself. Like, where do you fall? If, if abiding in the word is an example of a disciple, where do you fall in this? Statistically speaking, I don't know exactly how many people are in this room. There's probably more than 100, but we're just going to use 100. And we're going to say right here, down this line, congratulations, you guys read your Bible. I don't know if you do or not, but you do today. So there you go. You get credit for it. That helps. And then all you guys are on the bottom. I'm sorry. I don't know if that's true or not. But the reality is like if we think about this, and Jesus is saying there is freedom to be had by abiding in my word. This is where hope and life, this is where chains fall off that hold you enslaved is found in abiding in my word. Why in the world is this the statistical data for us in this room? How are we ever going to find freedom if we don't abide in the word? How are we ever going to prove ourselves disciples if we have no idea what God is calling us to do? And so he continues on. And he says this, verse 38 I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I've come from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. We see this repetition again of the idea that the word of God will fall on deaf ears and blind eyes if we don't know God as our father. Um, there was probably two years ago, our family was at a family camp in Arkansas. Really cool. It's a uh, place called Shepherd of the Ozarks Camp. Beautiful. This beautiful river running through it. You're in the mountains. It's just an amazing week to hang out as a family. But there's this town 
There, there's a town in Arkansas with the name of 56. Does anybody know that there's a town in Arkansas named 56? That is literally the name of their city, their town. I'm like, you could not have come up with anything better than a number. Um, I didn't even know. I'm like, of course, Arkansas. They're like, well, there's 56 of us. That's a good name for our city. Let's do that. But in the town of 56, there is Blanchard Springs Cavern. It's this amazing, beautiful, gigantic cavern underground. And so our family went. We went to the, to the caverns. We got underground, and you begin to walk through the caverns. I think we have a picture. Yeah, so this is a moment where you're walking through. And, and, and dude, I'm just telling you, like, you're tiny. These things are gigantic. And I love what they've done because they've lit this place under the earth in very unique ways. It's part of the experience is they do lighting stuff and the, the, you know, the, the things in blue and all this stuff. But here's what's amazing. We walk in, you kind of walk in and they may have like one dim light. And you'd be like, man, that looks beautiful. The tour guide would do his little thing about that. And then he'd say, well, but, but if you look back here and they throw up another light, they throw up another light. And then all of a sudden you're standing and you're like, holy cow. Look at the beauty and the magnificent, this screen in our school projector here doesn't quite do the magnificence of what it is in person, but you're standing, you're going, man, this is beautiful. And if they were to turn the lights off, it's like one of those things you can't see your hand dark, you know, like you're underground. But with the lights on, you, you look and you behold this magnificent creation that without the light, you would have had no idea was here. And this is, what, this is what Jesus is kind of telling us. He's saying, listen, when I come in, I am the light of world. And as I begin to enter into your heart, what you begin to see are the depths and the complexities of the gospel. And in my grace, my salvation, my hope begins to illuminate in you in a way that is so powerful and so beautiful. But it begins with abiding in my word so that you can know what that is. But here's what's interesting. <laughs> Again, only in Arkansas. We continue on the path. It's like an hour and a half, two hours. We're down there. At one point, it's like, I think I'm going to die down here. It was like, we got to get out of here. But anyway, we get to this place. It's dark, and the smell in the room just starts changing. I'm like, it smells horrible right here. Uh, and there were some funky smells. You're way underground. And we're in the dark, and I could tell like I'm by this thing, and it's, it's got like a cave, and there's this big mound. I'm like, golly, it smells right here. And in Arkansas, one of the biggest prides of the Blanchard Springs Cavern is that they have this gigantic mountain right here. This is where I'm standing. They turn the lights on, they're like, that is an eight foot mountain of bat guana right there. And, and in my mind, I'm like, of course, like you've got this beautiful cavern, but in Arkansas, they're like, dude, we just wanna show you this big pile of poop because it's awesome. And so I'm standing beside this, this thing's over my head and I'm standing right beside it, had no idea until they turned on the light that I was literally standing by an eight foot pile of bat poop. But here's what I would tell you. As the light of the world begins to shine in our heart, what happens is the way we find freedom is as he begins to illuminate the crevices of our soul, you begin to see that there's some things in there that are pretty disgusting. You begin to see some things in there that you go, man, I didn't even know that was there. I've been, I was standing right beside it. I knew it smelled bad, but I didn't know what it was. The reason Jesus says that there's freedom to be had in abiding in his word is because when he illuminates our hearts, you begin to see the places in your heart where you were enslaved to sin. He says, through the power of the gospel and the spirit, I'm about to provide freedom from these things that are you're entangled in. But first you have to know him. First you have to be his disciple. First that light has to intersect your life. And so he says in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Listen, church. If in knowing truth there is freedom, if God is saying, I am the light of the world, if you abide in my word, you will find truth and it will set you free, doesn't it seem obvious then that the enemy would say, hey, I want to be about lying? But he's crafty, like you know this. I've got kids, there's times where I'm like, okay, where did this gigantic mess come from in my house? And if they tell me some far-fetched story, like, oh, dad, we were outside and the dogs ran in and they took our homework and they threw it on the ground and they had all our toys out and we weren't even here and then we came in and I was like, oh my gosh, that's pretty easy for me to go, no, you're lying, (laughs) right? Those aren't the believable lies, ones that are just way out there and don't make any sense. But what is believable, what is a good lie, if you're a kid, I'm I'm not saying do these things, But what is a good lie is to tell partial truth. If you can tell some partial truth but not whole truth, it's really hard to distinguish what is truth. And this is what the enemy does. And we've got the statistics of of 40% of our room, maybe it's you guys, I'll be kind to you, you guys don't know anything about the truth, I'll be in there with you. We don't know anything about the truth and the enemy's coming giving us half truth and then we just don't know anything of what God is actually saying for us. Like think, man, if, if you spend time on social media right now, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I don't want to go on a rant on this, so I'm not. But here's what's crazy, dude. It's like everybody has their extreme opinion about what is truth and none of them are the same. Are you catching that? <laughs> like everybody's saying something about the same thing, but it's all different and everybody says I'm right. Why? Because what we're doing is we're saying, man, someone's told me something, I read something, I saw something on TV or the news, and now it's got to be truth. And so everybody's declaring, this is what I stand for because this is truth, because I watched a YouTube video of this dude that lives in his mom's basement that told me about all these things. This is how we get our facts. Why? Because the enemy is the father of lies, and he begins to move in us and sift in us and so that we can't delineate between what is truth. Like, this is truth. This sets you free. This sets us free. This sets this world free. And the question is, do you abide in his word? Was there a moment that he came to you and he lifted your head up out of the sand and said, who are those that condemn you? Nowhere. They're not here, Lord. Well, I don't condemn you anymore either. Go and sin no more. Like we're radically transformed by meeting the light. And then he says, come and find freedom. And yet for some reason, this is the hardest thing for us to abide in. And we love to listen to a thousand things and we really don't know if they're truth or not. And the other way the enemy does this, forget social media and all those things. Man, the enemy is, is so crafty at just telling us partial lies about ourselves. What he loves to remind us of is your failures, your inadequacies, your sin, the fact that you're not worthy, the fact that God should never even accept you, the fact that you, should, you don't deserve anything in life. And here's the reality, church. That's a half truth. It is true. We don't measure up. We're not worthy. We sin all the time. We have run from God constantly, even as believers. And so he sings this half truth over us and we go, man, I'm not worthy to do anything. I can't even go before God. I'm just gonna hide in the corner. I'm not gonna say anything. I'm not gonna do anything because he's, he's seen me. He knows me. But, but Jesus says, hey, listen, I, I've come to set you free. 
the, The whole truth is this. Yes, you are unworthy, and yet Jesus in his love and kindness and grace and mercy still pursued us, still saved us, still gave us a new name, still gave us a new identity. And that's why he's saying, listen, abide in my word so that you'll find freedom, so that when the enemy comes and throws half truths at you, you can go, yeah, it's a half truth, but I know the rest of the truth that though my sin is great, the grace of my God is greater. This is what he's calling us into. This is what he's telling us. Listen, if you want to be of your father, the Lord, abide in the word. To wrap up this morning, John has given this account of Jesus. But in 1 John chapter 1, he gives us like five sentences that wrap up in, 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 very, in a very eloquent way everything that Jesus is telling us. So I want us to real quickly turn to verse, 1 John chapter 1 all the way towards the back of your Bible. Here's what I love. John, the book of John, John's writing just the, recounting what Jesus has said. But in 1 John, now he's kind of like preaching a sermon about what Jesus has said. And he, and he just says it so beautifully. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. He's like, I wrote about it in John. We've heard it. Now I'm proclaiming it. That God is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 6, another check mark for us. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So another check mark is this. Those that have encountered the light no longer live in darkness. Does that mean we're not going to sin? Does that mean we're not going to struggle? No. But it means our pursuit is pursuing the things of God. And so he continues on, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I love this. Not only do we have relationship now with Jesus, but we have relationship with one another. You want to know what freedom is? Freedom is that we can come in this place as believers and we can all go, you know what? The more that I abide in the word, I find out I got more and more bat dung in my life. And and, and I'm trying to work through that, and so would you help me with that? But instead, what we've kind of built in churches is a place to come and say, we've got our stuff together. In fact, if you don't have your stuff together, this probably isn't the place for you, is is what the church has personified so many times. But what this frees us up to do is to come into this place and go, look, we are all jacked up, (laughs) okay? We all have sin. You failed this week. Take a breath. I failed this week. So we're in this together. We don't want to stay in that place, but we rest in the fact that when we do struggle, that our sin is paid for. And so that we can come and we can bring more and more things to the light. Confession brings things into the light. And this is what John tells us. He says, not only does walking in the light give you fellowship with Jesus, but it gives you fellowship with one another. A place where you don't have to feel judged. A place where the things that you struggle with, people can walk with you in that. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. John goes as far to say, hey, if you walk in this room and you were to say, I don't have any sin. I got nothing. Things are good. He says, you're a liar, and the truth of God is not in you. You have no light in you. You're in slavery, and you don't even realize it. Verse 9, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the beauty of the gospel. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you have ever shared your faith with somebody, the number one answer you get for people that are going to heaven that don't know that Jesus is the way will say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm probably going to make it. 
And the Bible's saying, if we live our life to the extent that you say, hey, I'm good enough to get into heaven without Jesus, you make Jesus a liar. The reason he came was because we are sinful. Chapter two, my little children, I'm writing these word, these things so that you may not sin, right? It's like what he said to the, the, the woman. Look, go and sin no more. I'm writing these so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have a, a, a payment. We have a, a person to stand in the gap. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. He is our payment. He is our merit. He is our righteousness. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now listen, we're just reading these last three verses, but they are important. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. How do we know that we've come to know him? Here it is. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Here it is. Whoever says he abides in him ought to in the same way walk in which he walked, in the way in which he walked. It, this, is, this is like a mini sermon on everything that Jesus said. To abide in Jesus, to abide in his word, leads to light, exposing our heart, seeing that the gospel is more beautiful than it could have, we could have ever imagined, seeing that there is a lot of sin and, and slavery in our heart that Jesus is freeing us from, and it changes us radically to begin to look like Jesus. Are we perfect? No. Are you going to be without sin? No. But I will tell you this, when we encounter Christ, we look different. And we abide in his word, and this is where the freedom comes from. About a month ago, Micah, my seven-year-old, came to me and he said, hey, Dad, I, I want to start reading the Bible, which I was like, that's awesome. And he can't read his big Bible yet because there's too many words. And so we got like this 500-page storybook Bible for kids. It's mostly pictures with like three sentences. Each story in the Bible is like three or four or five pages. But my seven-year-old son, on his own accord, said, I want to start reading the Bible, Dad. And that dude has not missed a day in a month And he starts coming to me and he's like, dad, I I, want to read to you. I want you to listen. And I'm going to be parent confession time. There's moments where he comes, he's like, dad, it's time to read. And I'm like, I don't want to do that right now. I mean, that's, that's horrible. Like I'm a preacher and that's horrible, but he's got more discipline than I do. And so I'm like, the Lord was like, listen, that's just almost unforgivable. (laughs) Not really, but I was like, I got to do this. And so every night for about a month, my son has read to me and my other younger son, Judah, we read a chapter, we pray, we, go, we, we take turns, whoever's turn it is to pray, no one wants to pray. But here's what's amazing to me. My seven-year-old son sees that abiding in the word of God is important. He's on page like 220 in this Bible and he's doing it all by himself. He's been disciplined enough every night to read by himself. If I don't make it in the room, he's like, mom, you're coming in. And in my mind, I'm thinking, one, I, I've literally seen change in my son from a storybook Bible with three sentence stories. Like it's transforming him. There's light entering into his heart and he's different and he's asking questions and gaining knowledge that I'm like, man, that only the spirit of God does that. And here's, here's what would have been a challenge to me as a parent. 
If my seven-year-old son can be on page 250, dude, I'm telling you, he has to sound every word out almost. It takes like 20 minutes to read one of these stories. But if he can get to page 250 in his Bible, because he's reading every day, what can you and I do as adults, as followers of Jesus that would say, man, we want to abide in the Lord. And so I want to give you some very practical steps. This isn't a guilt trip, man. This is, this is God saying, I am offering you freedom. You're walking in slavery. Walk away from that and come to me. Abide in my word. And so here's what I would say. It starts with this. If you don't have an easy to read version of the Bible, I'm gonna give you two right now, okay? One, I read out of the ESV. It's pretty easy to read. It's a good English standard version is what that is. It's pretty accurate. But if you're one that's like, man, I would love for that to be parsed out just a little bit more still, there's what's called the New Living Translation, NLT. And when I was 19, that was the first version I started going through the Bible. I was like, I wanna know what the word says. And so I read through the New Testament my first time ever in an NLT. And if I could do it at 19, I'm telling you, if you would've known me and I can do it, you can do it, I promise. You can get there. And here's what I would say, go online, Google Bible reading plans in a year. Pick something out that looks good to you. If you've started Genesis a billion times, your Bible's like highlighted like crazy in Genesis, a little bit in Exodus, and then it's done, don't do that plan again, okay? Start somewhere else, get past Genesis, come back to that later, okay? But pick you out a plan that works, and then just go, man, God, I want to abide in your word. And if you don't have a Bible, can't afford a Bible, we've got free Bibles every week, ESVs back here. But here's what I would encourage you to, to, to buy. I would encourage you to buy an ESV or an NLT and get a study Bible. Because you read something, you're like, I have no idea what that just said. And you can go to the bottom of the commentary and a guy that's way smarter than you and I is like, here's exactly what that meant. And you're like, that's awesome. So if you don't have a Bible that you can read well, go get one. If you can't afford one, come find me. I'll give you one or we'll go buy you a study Bible. But here's what I want for us as Wellspring Church is to be a people that abide in the word. I, my prayer is that when we throw up a statistic like this, if Lifeway was to come in this room and go, hey, what about you guys? That across the board we'd say, man, we are pursuing the word. Maybe we don't get it perfect. Maybe we don't do it every day, but we're pursuing that. We are people of the world and it has transformed us. The light of the life of men is transforming our hearts and we have found freedom as a people of God in this church. And again, we don't do this to gain his favor. We do it because he's given us his favor. He's offered it up. He's intersected our life, taken our sin and said, I have more to give for my glory and your good. And this is what I want us to be about as a church. So that in the moment when stuff hits the fan and the most tragic things happen in our life, we can walk out like Vonnie did and say, my, my husband is in heaven. I have peace because I know where my husband is. You don't gain that naturally as human beings. It, it, it's from abiding in the word and trusting in Jesus and knowing who he is. And that's what he offers up to you and I. So let me pray for us. So God, we thank you. We, we thank you that you didn't save us and just leave us here to, to try to figure this thing out on our own. But instead you said, hey, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna bring my word that is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will divide bone and marrow, the intentions of our hearts and our minds, and it will create life as it brings light into your heart. Thank you that you've given us this. Thank you that you've given us access to come to you, to abide, to make our home in your presence. God, so often we are so distracted by things that don't matter. 
good things, but not the best thing. And so I'm praying for my own heart, my own life, my own family's heart, my own family's life, and this church family's heart and life, that we would be a people that said, we are gonna abide in the word of God because the truth sets you free. God, we ask that you would shine in the recesses of our hearts, those places where we have closed doors and said, this place is kind of off limits, Lord. I don't really want you in this area of my life. I pray that you would burst through those doors and through those walls and you would reveal that we are in slavery and we are sin and you would provide freedom and hope and restoration in our lives. But only your spirit can do that, God. Only you have the power to transform our hearts and our minds. And so we're asking that you would do that, that we would be a people that leave changed today forever, that the rhythms of our life look different starting today because we want to abide in you. And so in these next few moments, God, would you have your way in us? And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.